Hello, this is Laurie Kaufman, author of The Lens and the Looker. This is the sixth of eight free installments of The Lens and the Looker, volume one in the Verona Trilogy. To find out how to get all the other installments, go to my website, www.lauriekaufman.com. That's www.lauriekaufman.com. Enjoy! Book 3. Stranded. Chapter 1. Even though Handsome was tired, he found it hard to fall asleep. He tossed and turned, so more straw than usual got into his blanket. This caused more itching, which made it even more difficult to sleep. He tried to think of pleasant things, like being home again, being nicer to his parents, Charlene and his teachers. He even admitted, I guess I've been cured of being a hard case. And then another thought swirled in his mind. What about Julietta? He had no answer for this. He had to agree with Lincoln and hope that the history camp elders from the 31st century would allow them to visit. Wake up, Brother Romero! Wake up! Handsome heard a croaking voice say as his shoulder was shaken violently. He hadn't even realized he had finally fallen asleep. What? What's going on? Handsome said, forcing his eyes open. It was still dark. He could just see Hugolino's face hovering above his, the grotesque visage even more contorted than usual. "'What's wrong?' Handsome asked. Ugolino's mouth opened, but no words came out. His eyes welled, and tears gushed out. "'Come!' Ugolino said pitifully before getting up and disappearing down the ladder, his sobs echoing in the dark. "'What's happening?' Lincoln said sleepily from the straw. "'I don't know,' Handsome answered. "'Yugi is crying like crazy and says we have to come.' As they got to the house, they heard the wails of more people. Inside, the flickering of oil lamps threw ominous shadows about the place. The first thing Handsome saw was the master in his nightshirt and cap, sitting on the bench, his arms hanging by his sides, his chest heaving with sobs. Julietta was by him, her face buried in the fabric of his sleeve. There was a monk standing by the table, quiet and serious. What could have happened, Handsome thought? Has this Signora died? Then he saw her, sitting on the other side of the table, her head slumped down and arms spread, not moving. "'The Signora?' Handsome asked. "'Is she?' The Signora's head popped up, and she screamed toward the ceiling. "'Peter, blessed saint, fold the Holy Father into your arms!' Handsome turned toward a confused Shamira. She was standing pale and ghost-like by the fire. "'What's going on?' Handsome asked. Shamira didn't answer but stood there shuddering. The Holy Father, Agostino began, but he couldn't continue. His head fell onto his heaving chest. Ugolino sat down on the other side of Agostino and put his hand on the master's shoulder. Amazingly, Master della Cappa didn't push it away. Finally, Agostino lifted his head. It is a day of death, the master finally whispered, his voice sounding more pitiful than anyone could ever expect from him. My son, the monk said, turning to Handsome and Lincoln, terrible news has befallen us. What, brother? Handsome asked. 
Grave news, the monk said, but he stopped when Agostino put up his hand. I shall tell, the master said, his hand shaking so violently that Ugolino had to grab and hold on to it. My cherished friend, the master finally was able to get out, and my beloved brother, my father confessor, our benefactor, the holy father Aaron, has been killed. Hansom and Lincoln looked at each other, shocked. They looked at Chimera again, who was still shivering by the fire. "'That's impossible,' Hansom said. "'It can't be true.' "'Would that was the case, my son,' the monk interjected. "'On his way back to Verona, just up in the northern valley, he was set upon by thieves. His remains were found by a young travelling nobleman. The father's body was half-eaten by wolves.' "'Those cursed mountains and those cursed wolves!' Ugolino cried. "'He was the only one that wanted nothing from me!' The master patted Ugolino on the shoulder, tears now gushing from both their eyes. Julietta even reached out and put her hand on Ugolino's. The three teenagers from the future looked on, wordless. "'But that doesn't make any sense,' Lincoln said. His remains were just brought to San Zeno, the monk explained. The bishop himself is conducting services. I was sent to deliver the news. I am sorry. He was a friend to so many. You may come in the morning to the church. Pan whispered something into Hansom's ear. We have to go now, Hansom said. It serves no purpose, my son, the monk said. The morning is soon enough. We have to go now, Pan whispered desperately. Hansom looked at Lincoln and Shamira and tapped his language implant. Pan says, go now. Hansom found the cavernous church very different at night. The wonderful paintings, gargoyles, dragons, and saintly statues looked ghostly as the flames from large oil lamps and torches sent portentous dancing shadows over everything. Prayers for the fallen Father Aaron were being chanted by a phalanx of priests and monks. They stood around the small stone ossuary, the smoke from burning candles and incense wafting all around it. The bishop himself walked up to Agostino, who fell to his knees and kissed the clergyman's ring. "'You're sure?' the master asked, his whisper echoing in the great hall. "'There's not much left, son, but we are sure,' the bishop said, motioning to the ossuary. Pan whispered in Handsome's ear again. "'We've got to see it,' Handsome repeated." "'See what, my son?' Pan whispered again. "'The remains. My son, it is not a sight for young eyes, or old ones, for that matter.' "'We must,' Handsome said very quietly. Agostino, Lincoln, and Handsome stepped toward the ossuary. Agostino motioned for the women to stay back. The bishop nodded to the monks, and two took hold of the small sarcophagus's lid. "'Prepare thyselves,' one of them said. When they lifted the lid, a rank smell rose that nearly made Handsome vomit. He clapped his hand over his nose and mouth, but forced himself not to run away. Almost nothing could be seen for the thousands of wriggling maggots. A bit of skull was visible, as well as a tangle of recognizable salt and pepper hair. The three gasped and stepped back. The monks let the lid drop back into place. Another monk stepped forward. "'Master Delacapa,' he murmured with quiet compassion, "'there was this note and small amulet with the body.' Agostino took them, looked at the note blindly, and handed it to Handsome. 
Give this necklace to the orphans living with the Delacapas in Verona, Handsome read. Then he looked up with hollow, scared eyes. Agostino held up the necklace. It was a piece of rawhide strip tied into a long loop. On it was a small brass charm in the familiar shape of an oil lamp. Agostino handed it to Lincoln. As Julietta stepped toward her father, Handsome and she exchanged pained glances. Tears fell from Julietta's eyes, and Agostino wrapped his arms around her. They sobbed in each other's arms. Ugolino lay himself down on the floor by the ossuary, spread his arms out, and began to pray through a constant stream of tears. The three teens from the future huddled together and looked at the familiarly shaped brass charm. All were lost for words. "'I am sorry for your sorrow, signorina,' the clear voice of a young man said. He had approached Agostino and Giulietta from the shadows, and was now standing before them, his eyes locked on Giulietta. The bishop stepped forward. "'Master de la Capa,' he said gently, "'this is Prince Feltrino Gonzaga of Mantua. He is the one who found the remains of our beloved father Aaron.' Agostino released Giulietta and faced the young man. He was indeed wearing noble clothes, but they were faded and somewhat dirty. He wore a long sabre at his side. "'Thank you, Excellency, for bringing our family back to us,' Agostino said, bowing low and putting a hand to his chest. Prince Feltrino looked at him briefly, but brought his gaze back to Giulietta. "'See, when I saw the note with the city of Verona on it, I had no choice but to bundle up what was left of the good father and come here.' Feltrino looked over at the bishop. "'An obligation to the church,' he smiled. Then, looking back at Giulietta, he added, "'And I'm very glad I did.' Handsome saw Giulietta blush. He stepped forward, but felt the strong hand of a monk holding him back in his obvious place. Feltrino Gonzaga looked at the assemblage and thought that once again he was being forced to deal with people who were well beneath him. All these peasant priests and monks, these crass craftsmen and horribly dressed apprentices, he thought. Dreadful. And all these tears over some dead priest. It's so tiresome. But this one, this girl, this is a beautiful girl. Maybe she will make it worth the trouble of dragging that smelly carcass in a sack behind my horse. If he hadn't been out of money, he would never have done it. Coming to Verona, home of his Gonzaga family's sworn enemies, the Della Scalas, could be very dangerous for him. He could be taken prisoner, or worse. But his plans had worked out so far. The bishop had fed him and said he could sleep in one of the monk's cells for a few days while his horse's leg healed. Now all he needed was a way to get his hands on some money and he would be off. But this girl, wouldn't that be a lovely diversion? Before he found the body, he had been on the verge of going home to his father and family. That would mean admitting defeat, like the prodigal son. He still heard his father's words before he kicked him out of their palace. "'I'm sick of your gambling debts and whoring. With your sword and horse skills, I thought you'd be an asset to me. But you've been a constant disappointment. You just don't get it, do you?' Hot blood had flooded into Feltrino's face. He turned and ran out the door of their palace, his father shouting, "'Don't come back till you get it!' Feltrino had stormed from the palace, not having a clue where he was headed. He got on his horse then, with only the winnings from last night's crooked dice game in his pouch. He headed out into the world. The bishop spoke again. 
Master de la Capa is the craftsman who brought the wonderful discs for the eyes to Verona. He's going to be a rich man soon, I think. Feltrino finally took his gaze off of Giulietta and looked at this Master de la Capa. He smiled. The discs for the eyes. Yes, I understand they are the talk of your city. Perhaps I shall visit your shop soon and purchase a pair to take to my dear father as a present. I, of course, have no need of such things, being young and strong, and with the statement he looked back at Giulietta. My house will be at your service, Excellency, Agostino said, bowing. It was still the dead of night when the house of Della Capa made its way home. Shamira, Lincoln, and Handsome took hold of each other's arms and held on tight. Nobody, not even Pan, spoke a word. At home, everyone sat around the table, mute except for the master's prayers his head down on his clutched hands. Ugolino sat on the floor in the corner, knees hugged into himself, scowling. Lincoln had the leather necklace on, and sat fingering the brass amulet. "'We must all speak,' Pan finally whispered, "'in the loft, immediately.' Handsome asked if they could be excused. Agostino looked up from his prayers and simply nodded. The instant they were all in the loft, Pan popped into existence. "'What the hell is going on here?' Handsome cried at him. "'If Aramis is dead, why aren't the history camp people coming to get us? "'Why are they leaving us here?' "'Young master, I am as confused about that as you,' Pan said. "'I have no answer.' "'But why did the history camp people get Aramis killed?' Shamira asked anxiously. "'It doesn't make any sense. "'They must keep track of their people.' "'Youch!' Lincoln cried. He grabbed the leather necklace and frantically pulled it over his head. It's hot! Holographic steam poured out of the small lamp. Lincoln dropped the necklace into the hay, and the instant it landed, a blinding flash hit the loft. When the children could see again, there, lying on the hay, was an image of a man almost naked. He was face down with his head in his arms. It's a hologram, Pan said. Who is it? Shamira asked. "'Greetings, friend,' Pan said. "'Who might you be?' "'They've come for us,' Lincoln announced. "'We're being rescued.' The image slowly raised its head. "'Oh, my God!' Shamira gasped. "'Aramis,' Handsome announced. There was dried blood all over the image's face. His hair was disheveled. "'Children,' the image said. "'This is an emergency message.' "'Where are you, Aramis?' Lincoln shouted. "'What's going on?' But there was no answer. Lincoln saw the smile vanish from Pan's face. "'Don't bother asking questions, young master,' the imp said. "'It's only a recorded message. It's not interactive.' "'If you are seeing this message,' the image started, "'I am dead.' The image of Aramis winced in pain. "'I have not much time. Listen closely.' I have traveled back and forth through time to check on you often. Then I did something foolish. I was bathing in a mountain stream and didn't have my protective AI cloak on. My guard was down. I was attacked, robbed, left for dead. Like this. The image coughed and spat out blood. It is imperative you all understand the truth of your situation. Aramis looked embarrassed. I... I am sorry... The truth is, I am from the future, and I was a history camp counselor, but I was disbarred. I made too many mistakes that changed the timeline. 
But I missed time travel so much. I stole the technology and continued doing what history camps from my time really do. That is, take children back in time. But... The image coughed up more blood. Another knot of pain shot over its face. It took two deep breaths and continued. I saw that you, oh, finally began to appreciate the privileged time you come from. I was coming to return you home when this happened. Returning is now impossible. I've lost my cloak, my technology. The thieves missed this recording device. And the worst problem is nobody, nobody knows what I've done. Nobody knows where I am, where you are. The teens gasped simultaneously. The image lay its head on the ground, panting heavily. It rallied and raised itself onto one elbow. My young friends, it said, smiling weakly, make the best of your new lives. Do what you must to be successful. Use the universal knowledge of your genie. I know you have one. Take every advantage, and find happiness where you can. He then winced with what must have been intolerable pain. And remember, the image whispered, finally collecting itself, happiness is a decision. The image smiled as best it could, then closed its eyes. A wolf's howl was heard, then a second. The image opened its eyes and looked to the side, seeing something terrifying. Then the vision turned into a puff of holographic smoke and disappeared. Stunned silence. Holy Lysias and Latona, Pan said. Nobody knows where we are, Shamira said. We really are stuck here, Handsome whispered. Lincoln let out a long whistle from between his broken tooth. My mom and dad, I'll never see them again, and they're not even born yet. His eyes welled up, and he began to shiver. Shamira came and put her arms around him. They stood, saying nothing for a long time. They heard the door to the workshop creak open. Children, the master's voice shouted up, come down, we must talk. Pan put himself back into the lamp, and they all climbed down to the shop. The Signora and Giulietta were also there. The Signora was carrying a basket. She lifted the cloth, covering it. It was full of food. And then she did something extraordinary. She made sense. "'You must eat, dear apprentices,' she said. "'Sorrow is best drowned in food, which is the stuff of life.' "'God sends us these tests,' offered the master." "'And we must find happiness in sorrow,' Julietta said, "'for sorrow brings those who are left behind closer together.' Lincoln began to whimper, his lower lip quivering. Tears streamed from his eyes. "'I miss my mamma," he sobbed. "'Oh, my little chicken,' the signora soothed. She came over and hugged Lincoln. Lincoln sank into her fat bosom and completely broke down. The signora cried with Lincoln, and Shamira with Julietta. The master took a step toward Handsome, looking at him seriously. The old man's eyes were deep wells. Handsome wasn't crying, though. He was angry. Chapter 2 Handsome looks the master up and down, studying the big man with new eyes. 
His clothes, with their stains, grime, and body odor, his permanently stained and calloused hands, his unclipped fingernails, rough face, scruffy beard, and long hair became more real to the boy. Even the spaces in Agostino's mouth, where teeth had rotted and been wrenched out, cried out their humanity. It's as if they symbolized the entirety of this unyielding century's all-pervasive pain, a century that Handsome was now inextricably part of. The master's rough face looked at Handsome, trying to smile reassuringly. He opened his arms a little, then put his palms together. With God's mercy, Romero, we shall survive. Handsome found no comfort in those words. They were just so much pap that did nothing to soothe the cruel image of what he had seen in the ossuary and all it meant. He scrunched up his mouth, getting more hard-case angry than he had ever been. Agostino appeared to misinterpret this for sadness. He opened up his arms to embrace the boy he knew as Romero. "'This is all completely crazy!' Handsome shouted. Then he turned around and stomped out into the night. "'Romero!' Julietta, her heart breaking in sympathy, called after him. Agostino started to follow the young man, but his wife stopped him. "'Let the boy be, husband,' she said. Agostino stopped, and to Julietta's surprise, her father didn't dismiss her mother's opinion. There was something in her voice reminiscent of the person she used to be. A month of the herbs had cooled her brain. She looked over at her daughter and said, "'You go.' "'Mama?' "'A young girl in the streets at night?' the master questioned. "'Then go quickly before he gets far,' the signora said. Julietta looked to her father to see his reaction. He said nothing, so Julietta let go of Shamira and rushed out the door after Handsome. Handsome hadn't gone far. He was standing out in the middle of the street, staring up at the sky when he heard her voice. Romero? Handsome turned and saw Julietta's beautiful face, looking up at him sympathetically. A full moon was coming out, lightening the darkened streets. She stepped closer and took a small handkerchief from her waistband, reached up and dabbed at the tear-stained smudges on Handsome's face. "'Where are you going?' she asked. "'My father is worried.' "'I don't know. I just needed to get away.' "'See, si, I know that feeling. Come, let's walk. Or would you like to be alone?' "'No, no,' Handsome said, feeling conflicted. "'A walk would be good.' Julietta turned and slowly walked south. Handsome followed. They strolled in silence toward the Porte del Cazaro gate, the moon rising directly in front of them. Pan had explained to Handsome that the walls of Verona then were not the structures visible in the 24th century, except for a small remnant of the old inner wall. The walls which Giulietta and Romero strolled toward were built before the advent of powerful black powder and cannons. Pan had explained how they had to be replaced with cannon-resistant walls when that technology became available. But now there were twenty-seven miles of outer wall protecting the city. Made of red brick, they were forty feet high, twelve feet thick at the bottom, and eight at the top. There was a walkway at the top from which troops could both defend the city and move from one of the forty-nine towers to the next. There was also a canal that ran along the outside of most of the walls, acting as a moat. There were six gates to enter the city. Julietta's hands were gently clasped in front of her. Handsome held his behind. A very sad thing happened today, Julietta said. What was left of Father Aaron, it was horrible. It is a cruel world, Romero. My world isn't like this, Handsome said, shaking his head. 
"'Tis everyone's world, Romero, but it can also be very beautiful. Father Aaron once told me that life is a dance, a dance where we live with one foot in heaven and one foot in hell. We dance back and forth between the two and are given a choice. Life is learning to always dance back into heaven. Tell me, Romero, is it just the death of the Holy Father that makes you so sad?' Handsome stopped and turned toward Julietta. She stopped and looked back up at him, the moon dancing in her eyes. "'I can never go home,' Handsome said. "'My family doesn't even exist.' "'My poor Romero,' Handsome felt Julietta's warm hand on his arm. "'The death of the Holy Father has reminded you of your own family's loss.' "'Something like that,' he answered, looking into her brown eyes. "'Don't worry, Romero.' I'm sure they are all safe in Jesus' arms. Everything that's happened has made me realize how much I miss my family. Now Julietta took his hands in hers. She looked up at him, saying earnestly, We are your family now, Romero. He thought of what the image of the dying Aramis said. Find happiness where you can, and happiness is a decision. He gently squeezed Julietta's beautiful hands, stroking them with his thumbs. "'Will you be my family, Julietta?' They stood in the middle of the road, hands clasped together for the first time, their eyes and lips close. Handsome couldn't tell if it was the gravity of the moon shining in the sky or that of their young hearts, but he felt them being pulled together. "'See, I will be your family, Romero.' The clop-clop-clop of a horse-drawn wagon came out of nowhere. They both looked up, breaking the spell. The wagon wasn't going very quickly, and Handsome gently pulled Julietta to the road's edge. The driver was an old man with a beard and floppy straw hat. He smiled at them, slowing but not stopping. "'Young lovers' kisses call forth hot wishes,' he said. "'Don't waste your beautiful years when life is full of tears.' Then he winked, snapped the reins of the horse, and continued on his way. Alone again, Julietta and Handsome giggled, their mood lightening somewhat. Then shyly, both looked away from each other and resumed their walk. Julietta's arms were now by her side. After a few strides, Handsome reached over and took her hand. She did not pull away. They walked together, deep in their own thoughts, occasionally looking at one another and smiling. As they arrived at the massive tower, the moon was now high overhead. They walked up to the closed, heavy wrought iron gate and peered through at the raised drawbridge. They could hear the fast-moving water of the canal on the other side, and Handsome realized he had never been to the edge of the city before. A man's voice came out of the night. Buenazera! A figure appeared out of the door to the tower. It was a city guard wearing a leather tunic and shows. He had a kettle helmet but wore no chain mail. Can I help you? Grazie, no, Handsome said. We're just out for a walk. Ah, I see. "'A beautiful night for such a thing,' he looked at them closely. "'I've not seen either of you before. Where do you live?' "'Just up the road. We've only been here a month. I'm Romero. This is Julietta.' "'My father is Master de la Capa, the lensmaker.' "'Ah, see. That big shipment a while ago. So you're out for a walk,' the guard continued. "'Not advisable to go outside the gate. Besides, it's too much work to lower the bridge.' "'We understand,' Handsome said. "'We'll just turn around and—' "'Say, I have an idea,' the guard offered. "'Have you ever walked along the top of the wall? "'With the moon out, it's very pleasant. 
You can walk over to the next gate and go home up the Corso del Palio. Is that permitted? Julieta asked. The guard shrugged, made a face, and winked. The stairway up the tower was dark and narrow. The two teenagers followed the guard, Julieta holding Handsome's hand. They were pointed down the length of the brick walkway and bid good night. Handsome found it amazing to stand on the wall. With a full moon shining, he could look over the countryside to the south for miles. Looking back over the city, he could see all the church steeples, towers, tile roofs, smoke of many chimneys wafting up into the air, and even the top courses of the ancient Roman arena. Julietta leaned between two parapets and gazed up at the moon. Handsome stepped behind her and put his hands lightly on her arms. "'It's a beautiful view,' she said. "'See, and I have an especially beautiful view,' he saw Julietta smile. Then a chill breeze came up and she shuddered. "'It's getting cold,' Handsome added. "'We should get going.' Julietta spun around in Handsome's arms and kissed him. It took Handsome a few moments to recover from his surprise, but when he did, he responded well. They kissed long and hard, and soon Handsome was oblivious to the rest of the universe, his past, present, and his future. All that existed for him was an undeniable intensity between the two. Handsome finally came up from his deep well of delicious drowning and looked into Julietta's eyes. He could now see in her that instant familiarity which each person instinctively craves. "'We'd better get going,' he said, smiling. "'Your father is going to wonder.' They walked and skipped along the wall, hand in hand, giggling and stealing kisses. They came to a small guard tower and looked inside the room. It was empty. Julietta stepped in, and Handsome suddenly felt himself being pulled after. Still holding his hand, she leaned against the wall and gave her bow a wicked smile. He complied by pressing his whole body against hers, and they kissed deeply again and again. Some time later they were walking home briskly, still giggling and laughing, stopping to kiss often, then rushing on. As they got closer, they stopped and took extra care in straightening out their clothes and expressions. They kissed one next to last time, started to walk, then needed to kiss a very last time. The last bit home they walked as solemnly as possible their hands by their sides, in case the master was out front waiting. The house was dark. Julietta entered quietly and bid Handsome one last good night till the morrow. Never had a door taken so long to close, but finally the latch found its home. Handsome listened and heard the stairs creak as Julietta softly walked up them. How he wished he was still with her! Finally he pulled himself away and headed for his own bed. As he walked down the alley, he skipped. He was so happy. Then he remembered. Aramis was dead. They were stuck in the 14th century. His bouncing walk slowed to a funeral dirge as the implication sunk in once more. He never would see his family again. His parents, who were not even born yet, would never meet Julietta. He was still thinking these dark thoughts when he entered the shop. He stopped short. There was the master, sitting at the lathe, literally burning the midnight oil. "'You're back,' Master de la Capa said flatly. "'See, si, Master.' "'You okay?' "'See, si, Master. Julieta and I walked to the gates and then around a little. It cooled my head.' The Master just looked at him. Luckily he was wearing his safety glasses with the strong lenses. That and the dirt from working made it hard to see Handsome clearly. But Handsome saw Agostino more clearly now. Here sat a fourteenth-century man, hard-working, skilled, 
one who accepted responsibility for his family. His gruffness and his grimy outward appearance were not so terrible now that Handsome could understand them in their true context. "'Giulietti in the house?' the master asked. "'See, master, are you going to be able to do what is necessary tomorrow and for the next months? Forever?' Handsome paused. This was the question that now loomed over them all. Chapter 3 Rows of skulls peered out at Handsome from the rock ledge of the catacomb. They were the skulls of hundreds of priests who had served the church over the last hundreds of years. What was left of Aramis was joining them. He was told that in a year or two, when all the worldly flesh had disappeared from Father Aaron, his skull would be proudly displayed with the others. Handsome Shamira and Lincoln stared in horror at the stacks of the other bones. Legs, arms, pelvises, ribs, and more. They were piled up to the ceiling in deep stone cribs. The vaulted underground chamber was also crowded with living people today. The teens, the Delacapas and Ugolino, were the only representatives of the deceased's family and friends. The rest were priests and monks. In the same way that Hansom was seeing Agostino differently, he was seeing everything differently. Things seemed, looked, smelled, felt different. The rude fabric of the monk's cassock seemed rougher, more textured. Handsome, having now spent weeks doing manual labor, imagined the coarse wool being spun by hand and woven on simple looms. When he looked at the monks' gaunt and dirty faces, all rough with stubble, Handsome could see the plain wooden bowls of food put before the brothers each night, meager rations in each. He pictured their crude living quarters without running water to bathe or shave. Looking into the eyes of individuals devout to their religious convictions was one of the scariest things for Handsome. No longer could he look at the faith that permeated the whole society as naive rationalization and superstition. He now saw unyielding spiritual convictions of which he must be wary. He must not misspeak. It's all so surreal, he had confided to Pan. As the ceremony ended, Handsome walked up to the ossuary with the others. As he tried to mumble his goodbyes, the stinging odor of the rotting, maggoty flesh in the stone box wafted into his nose and eyes. He began to weep as everything around him seemed to scream that life was a frenzied race to the grave. Finally, the Delacapas were directed to leave the catacomb. They followed behind the procession of the bishop and the priests. As they came up into the cloud-covered cemetery beside San Zeno, Shamira began crying too. Handsome Lincoln and Julietta came to her aid and put their arms around her, ushering her forward. Handsome felt his hand covered by another's. It was Julietta's. Their wet eyes met in a long, sorrowful gaze, and they entwined fingers as they exited the church cemetery. As they got to the large square in front of the church, Handsome saw Prince Faltrino standing on the steps. He let go of Julietta's hand, lest anyone see this impropriety. He stood straight and watched Faltrino, whose eyes were locked on Julietta. The family stopped briefly and said their goodbyes to the bishop in public, which Handsome knew was a great honor for Master de la Capa. Many eyes were on them. It was good for business. He saw Feltrino approach and then felt Father Lorenzano's hand on his arm, quietly pulling him, then Lincoln and Shamira, away from the group. A serious-looking Feltrino bowed to the bishop, then Master de la Capa. Then he made a prolonged bow to Julietta. He looked into her eyes, saying something Handsome couldn't hear. Handsome took an involuntary step forward, but felt Lorenzano's hand on his shoulder again. He also felt Feltrino's eyes dart toward him, and their gazes locking. 
The young noble moved his eyes back to Julietta, but Handsome saw the prince put his hand on the hilt of his sword and squeeze. "'Take care, Master Handsome,' Pan whispered. "'We are now in a very new situation.'" Chapter 4 "'The poor orphans,' the Signora said in the dark of her bedroom. "'Who are you speaking to?' the master's voice said back to her. "'You, of course, husband. Who else?' "'I thought maybe one of your angels.' "'Oh, no, dear.' "'Archangel Michael leaves when you come to bed, "'but he told me we must be patient with the orphans. "'He says they came from a home far different from ours "'and are feeling very lonely. "'But with patience and care, they will blossom.' "'Agostino reached over and patted his wife's side, "'then lay there in the dark, thinking. "'It had been three days since the funeral. "'On the day after, four people came to buy discs for the eyes. "'The next, six. He was almost out of stock, but couldn't get the three youths back to working as efficiently as before. The two boys were now very slow and even forgetful, almost as bad as Ugolino. The shop was becoming messy and the kitchen girl wasn't cooking. She was just putting out cold food and leftovers. And meals were always late. "'You should have gone to repast this morning, Master Handsome,' Pan said." The imp was standing by the work table, his eyes at a height where he could see the lenses sitting next to the empty bone frames. You've hardly eaten in three days. You must keep up your strength. Master de la Capa says I've fallen behind setting the lenses. I'm just trying to catch up. But you're just sitting here, Pan replied. There was a click as the latch to the shop door rose. Before the door opened, Pan was gone. Handsome looked up. The beautiful face of Julietta peeked around the door. Handsome stood up quickly and smiled as best he could. Julietta smiled back and came in, holding a covered plate of food. She closed the door behind her. "'You're alone?' Handsome asked. She nodded. Handsome quickly walked over, took the plate from her with one hand and wrapped the other around her waist, pulling their bodies together. Their mouths met, and a warm, comforting wave washed over Handsome from head to toe. "'Oh, I've missed your lips,' Julietta sighed, while taking a breath in between kisses." "'And I yours,' Handsome replied. "'You didn't come to repast. I was worried for you. We're all worried. I wasn't hungry. I was thinking you didn't want to see me any more.' "'What?' Handsome was shocked. "'No, Julietta, no.' He quickly put down the plate and took both of her hands. "'It's just that, with all that's happened, I'm confused. Sad. I've never experienced anything like this before.' Julietta looked up at Handsome with two clear eyes. Then you still love me? Handsome realized that in all of his playing around the past few years, this was one thing he never considered, never uttered. Handsome finally found his smile again. Julietta, I've loved you since I first set eyes on you. They beamed at each other and were about to embrace when the door latch clicked again. Handsome stepped over and picked up the plate. The door opened, and in walked Ugolino, followed by the master, Shamira, and Lincoln. Handsome stood with the plate in his hand. "'You haven't eaten yet?' the master said. "'It's delicious,' Handsome began to say, till he looked down to see the cloth still on the plate. The master stepped over to the work table and looked at the empty frames. "'What have you been doing all this time?' Handsome flinched, but Agostino didn't shout. "'Children,' he said, "'come stand around me.' The Holy Father would not want his investment in our family to be for naught. 
In his good memory, we must continue with strong hearts and trust that God will help us succeed. Boys, let us to work. Girls, go to the market and provision the house again. Make meals that will nourish us well and make our hearts happy. So Handsome sat back down and began to work. He saw Lincoln loading the dops with glass blanks and bringing the master what he needed. But it was not easy to keep his mind on work. He kept thinking of the maggot-filled ossuary and the skulls and the crypt. Other times he would find himself with images of his home, his parents and Charlene in his thoughts. Often he would be flying in a hoverjet, high over the mountains, going to school or in space on a vacation to the moon. Then he'd hear the master call out his name, and he'd find himself, once again, staring at his hands or at something on the work table. At night, Handsome and Lincoln spoke to Pan about their fears. Were they now at the mercy of every microbe and malfeasant infesting this world? Apparently, a quarter of all newborns didn't make it to the age of one. More than another quarter didn't survive to their fifth birthday. Workers who broke bones or sustained serious injuries most often died of infections. To allay these fears, Penn reminded the teens they still had their 24th century inoculation implants. These shielded their bodies from everything that was not symbiotic to their individual genetic sequencing. They were usually renewed every three years in youths as they grew. Implants for adults could last a lifetime, but none of the teens had those yet. And since none of them had ever worried about such things as inoculation dates, not one of them could accurately say when their three years were up. Handsome was pretty sure that his inoculation implant had been updated only a few months before their adventure. Shamira thought her three years were almost done, but couldn't say for sure. Lincoln didn't have a clue. My mom always told me it was my body so I should keep track of it, he admitted, scolding himself. Oh, not to worry, Master Lincoln, Pan soothed. As soon as we are properly settled, we shall start creating and storing antibiotics and medicines that will come in handy. I'm sure I can keep us all safe. But, despite all of Pan's sincere reassurances, he knew the teens had to grieve. For Handsome, accepting his new life was the easiest. He had Julietta, although spending time together this was a problem. But, like young lovers everywhere and at every time, ways were always found. Handsome took to getting up an hour or two before daylight and stood in the alleyway waiting for Julietta. They would walk to the market, strolling through the streets, hand in hand. Sometimes they would climb into the old Colosseum, the arena. Sitting high in the old stone stands, they would cuddle and kiss as the stray cats hunted for mice. They would then stand on the top tier and watch the sun rise over the city. On these clandestine mornings, Shamira would cover for them by sleeping on the cot on the main floor. If the master came down early, the story would be she wasn't feeling well and Julietta had gone to the market early to get this or that special item that they knew was in short supply. Handsome and Julietta were always sure to be back before repast, except once, when Julietta came in, laden with three bags of supplies. Her father met her at the door. "'You carried all this yourself from the market?' he asked, perplexed. "'Here's the last bag,' Handsome said, popping his head in the door quickly, surprised to see the master. Handsome could see the master scrunch up his face suspiciously. "'What were you—' "'Buongiorno, master,' Handsome said quickly, putting on a bright smile. "'I was up early setting lenses, and Julietta came to the shop to find another carrying bag. "'She said Carmela wasn't feeling well, so I went with her to help.' "'The master stared at him warily. "'Lucky I did,' Handsome added, not changing his happy face one iota. 
Oh, you were able to get the fresh carp, Shamira said, adding an extra diversion. That's your favorite, master. Yes, it's good you went, Romero. Jewel and I could never have carried all this. Just then a tousle-haired Lincoln sleepily clomped into the house. What's everybody doing up so early, he said wearily. He was hatless and his hair was sticking out in every direction. You walk in the streets and into my house like this, the master chastised. What's wrong, Lincoln said through sleep-filled eyes. The master grabbed him in a playful headlock and messed up his hair more, which of course sent the younger teen into fits. You want to be messy? I make you more messy, the master teased, not letting go no matter how much Lincoln struggled. The other teenagers began to laugh. It was the first time in a week everybody laughed together. Okay, we have the girls to put away the provisions and make dinner, Agostino said, with Lincoln's face still trapped under his armpit. Come, boys, back to the shop. Let me go, master. Let go, Lincoln cried, now laughing himself. Have you ever taken a bath? But the big man ignored him. Come, let's go see how many lenses Romero set before going off to do woman's work. And he strode out the door, dragging a giggling and flailing Lincoln. The girls were still laughing when Handsome realized what the master had said. Of course, there was no sign of his work. A look of humorous panic broke out on his face as he raced after the master, causing the girls to giggle even harder. "'What's all the laughing?' a voice from the stairs said. It was the signora up and moving all by herself. "'Papa was just teasing Maruccio, and it was very funny, Mama. "'Oh!' the signora said excitedly. She smiled and clenched her fists, hopping up and down on the steps, which began to spring up and down precariously. "'You were right, Michael,' she squealed, looking back upstairs. "'You were right, holy angel. Our house is happy again.'" Chapter 5 In the shop, the master still held Lincoln in a headlock. "'You walk the streets representing my house with a head like this, like an old dust broom?' "'Let me go, master,' Lincoln shouted. "'I'll be good, I'll be—' "'Yes, you'll be good,' the master laughed, "'and you'll be clean.' "'And with that he lifted Lincoln off the ground "'and dunked his head in the icy water of the water barrel. "'The master bobbed Lincoln up and down a few times, "'laughing and winking at an astonished handsome. "'Then he plopped the boy back down on his feet "'and stood back, hands on his hips. "'Lincoln danced around on the spot, "'gasping for air and shaking his head violently. "'Water sprayed everywhere.' Then he stood still, frozen on the spot, a wild look in his eyes. "'Oh-oh,' Penn whispered to Handsome. Handsome had to agree. Lincoln was most likely going to flip out. But nothing happened. Standing there like a wet cat, Lincoln just put his arms down by his side and took a deep breath. "'Okay, I give up,' he said. "'What? What are you talking about?' Handsome asked. "'I give up,' Lincoln said again. "'I'm not going to fight it any more.' "'What do you mean?' Handsome asked again. I mean, we're stuck here. We can never go back to our old life. Lincoln didn't seem to be worrying that he was talking this way in front of the master. I'm driving myself crazy worrying about it, but it can't be helped. And like Aramis, like Father Aaron said, happiness is a choice. Well, I guess I'm choosing to be happy. Oh my, I think he finally gets it, Pan whispered to Handsome. The Holy Father was wise, the master said, crossing himself. We must take what life gives us, for we have no choice about that. And we will all make mistakes. But with work and by using the resources we can muster, we can make a good life for ourselves. The three men, young and old, looked at each other. I'm in too, Handsome added. 
Later, at dinner, everyone seemed in a much better mood. Everyone bowed their heads and said a prayer for Father Aaron, and when they finished, they did not look sad. Shamira uncovered a bowl on the table and revealed their meal. Aspic of beef! Bravo, Carmela! Bravo, Giulietta! the master crowed. Thank you, master. Thank you, papa. The signora clapped her hands and bounced on the bench. Then the door opened quickly and Ugolino walked in. Master! Master! Ugolino called out of breath. Of course, who shows up when food is served? Agostino said. Ugolino stopped and stared at the table, looking somewhat hurt. The master laughed. No, come, my boy. Sit in your place and tell me what makes you so out of breath. Ugolino relaxed and sat at his place by Handsome, now smiling. I got us another church to visit, Santa Anastasia. Next Sabbath, I already gave the priest his discs for the eyes. Bravo to you too, Ugolino, the master said. Come, let's eat. Say your prayers, Yugi. As the meal was coming to an end, the master dusted the crumbs off his front, got up and went to the stairs to his bedroom. He came back holding the telescope. We must start showing these around, he said. Handsome Shamira and Lincoln looked at each other cautiously. I don't want to disappear, Lincoln whispered to Handsome. Do you really think that's a good idea, master? Handsome asked. It's only a toy. Oh, I think we can sell quite a few of these. And it's more than just a toy. Come. We must go to the shop. I'm going for a nap, dears, the signora said, yawning. No, daughter, I can get there myself. I'll come to the shop too, Papa, Julietta said. I want to learn to set the lenses like Carmela. Ugolino made a face. After all, Julietta added, if Ugolino is going to be selling so many more discs for the eyes, we must all be ready. Ugolino smiled broadly now. As they walked out the door, Julietta asked, May I look through the new invention again, Papa? Lincoln leaned close to Handsome. Do you really think that introducing this thing to the world can change the timeline? That one of us may disappear? We're going to find out, Handsome replied. Chapter 6 Feltrino Gonzago was riding his horse in the direction he was told he'd find the lens makers. He knew he was pressing his luck staying in Verona. He could be recognized at any time by a soldier or another noble, so he moved cautiously. He would have left that morning now that his horse wasn't lame, but he couldn't get that beautiful girl, Julietta, out of his mind. That had been his main weakness the past few years. Beautiful girls, and some not-so-beautiful ones. But this one was a beauty. He was glad the Bishop of San Zeno fed him that morning because he had not been able to find much money. Only fifty denarii in his pouch, part one gambling at a tavern last night, the rest robbed from a drunk at sword point afterward. Arriving at the street he was told the lensmaker's house was on, he pulled up on his horse's reins and looked around. "'God, look at these hovels,' he muttered. "'They're only good for burning. Now, which one are you hiding in, my beauty? God, don't make me knock on every damned door.' As if in answer to his prayers, he saw a door open and out walked the object of his adoration. Behind Julietta was that bear of a father and that motley crew of apprentices.' The girl was holding some cylinder and put it to her eye. Everyone was laughing and acting like a happy family. Feltrino found it odd that a master was so nice to his subordinates. His father wasn't this way. "'Oh, look,' Julietta said, aiming the telescope across the road and down the alley beside the tailor's house. "'I can see Master Satori working in his garden. It's like he's right in front of me. Look at the size of that squash!' 
Julietta then lifted the cardboard and lens invention, pointing it toward the city. And look, the morning doves sit on the roof of Castle Vecchio so peacefully. There's twelve of them, and a yellow and black canary sits with them. Something walked in front of the lens. Julietta lowered the telescope and found she was staring up at a man on a very large horse. It was the noble who was leering at her at the church, Feltrino. Buongiorno, Feltrino said, looking down from his mount. Master della Cappa, he said, still keeping his eyes on Julietta. His large stallion stepped around nervously, causing Julietta to back up. Feltrino hit the horse hard in the neck, and the animal calmed somewhat. Feltrino dismounted, straightened his sword, and then held out the reins to Lincoln. "'Tie my horse to that post,' Feltrino said with a sneer. Lincoln, who had never been around animals, looked up at the huge beast, which chose that time to give a loud snort. "'Now, you fool!' Lincoln took the reins and looked nervously about. He walked toward an old broken post by the edge of the house. But when he got to the end of the tether, the horse didn't follow. Instead, it pulled its massive head in the opposite direction." Lincoln was lurched backwards and dropped the reins. Hansom quickly took hold of them. "'He's never been with horses, Signor,' Hansom said. Feltrino looked angry again. "'Romero, don't speak unless spoken to,' the master said quickly, "'not to a noble.' As the two teens tied the horse up, Lincoln looked fearful as he tried to stay away from the huge hooves. "'Fools!' Feltrino chuckled. Then he looked like he smelled something bad. "'This is where you make your wonderful discs for the eyes?' "'Our shop is around the back, Excellency. It's brand new. Would you like to see?' As Hansom and Lincoln rejoined the group, Agostino motioned for them to stand by Ugolino and to also take a step backwards. "'What?' Feltrino finally asked. He hadn't really heard what Agostino said. "'Oh, see your shop, yes. Perhaps the young signorina would give me a tour. I'd love to see all, especially if it's new and virginal.' While Juliet, I looked quickly down— all three boys became angry. Ugolino and Lincoln didn't move, but Hansom stepped toward the prince. Agostino moved sideways, blocking Hansom's path, but keeping his eyes on Feltrino. "'I'm afraid my daughter knows nothing of lens-making, Excellency. You wanted discs for the eyes for your father? That would be a wonderful gift from a loving son, I'm sure.' "'Ah, yes. Well, perhaps another time for that,' he said, trying to get Julietta to look at him again. This seemed to be getting too much for even Agostino to put up with. "'Well, Excellency, if I can be of no service to you today, we must to the shop and work.' "'I shall have a walk with your daughter, then. Perhaps even a ride,' he said, looking at his horse. "'She must attend to her mother,' Agostino said, grabbing Julietta's arm and pulling her toward the house. She dropped the telescope. Feltrino picked it up with his gloved hands. "'What's this, then?' he asked, looking at the two lenses. "'Oh, that!' "'It's just a toy, Excellency,' Agostino said, holding out his arm to take it back. "'How is it used? I saw the beautiful girl hold it to her eye like this.' He pointed at where Julietta had, toward Castle Vecchio. His eyes went wide. "'Witchcraft!' he gasped. "'Oh, no,' Agostino said, sounding like he really didn't want to be accused of something as serious as that. "'It's lenscraft, Excellency, lenscraft. What can be used to make things that are near clear?' can also be used to make far things close. Feltrino's preoccupation with Julietta instantly evaporated. He had never seen or experienced anything like this. He put the tube back to his eye and peered into the distance. Fantastico, he said. The spires of that church have come close to me. 
He heard a sound across the street and aimed the instrument there. He saw a man and a woman laugh as they worked in a garden. The man had picked up a long squash with a bulbous end and was holding it to his midsection. The woman was laughing with fits. Feltrino could barely hear her laughter, but he could see the glint in her eye and the black around her few teeth. They didn't know they were being spied upon. Feltrino looked seriously at Agostino. "'Master della Capa,' he said now with respect, "'this is your creation.' After a pause, Agostino slowly nodded his head once. "'It is from my shop, Excellency.' "'I would like to take this to my father, Master della Capa. He may be interested in it.' Feltrino knew at once what an important instrument of war this machine could be, and if he could bring this to his father, he would not return seemingly defeated by the world. He would be a hero.' "'Well, Excellency, of course,' Agostino replied. "'They are to be sold, but this is the first one. "'I have not even put a price on it yet. "'No one else has seen these?' "'No, Excellency,' Feltrino thought deeply for a moment. "'Master de la Capa, perhaps you may even consider moving your shop to Mantua. "'I am sure my father will offer patronage to a craftsman such as yourself.' "'Oh, Excellency, we are well settled here, with a new shop.' "'Perhaps he will change your mind.' Feltrino went to his horse and took a piece of wrinkled parchment from a sack. "'You, boy,' he said to Lincoln, "'turn around.' Using Lincoln's back, Feltrino wrote on the paper, "'Safe passage to Mantua. Feltrino Gonzago. He handed it to Agostino. "'Myself or someone else will come to talk to you in the future. In the meantime, if you want to travel to Mantua, this will get you there safely.' Feltrino smiled his most sincere smile for the master. "'And I'm sure we could find much better accommodations for you.' He saw Master de la Capa looking at him, stone-faced, trying not to show favor or dislike for the suggestion. The girl was still standing, her hands clutched and staring at the ground, embarrassed. The ugly apprentice was not looking at him, knowing not to stare at a noble, but the other two apprentices and the kitchen girl were eyeing him very boldly, even with disdain. "'Well, I must be off home,' Feltrino said. "'I have been too long away. "'I shall take your wonderful machine and show it. "'Excellency, please, I must have it back,' Agostino said. "'What? What did you say to me?' Feltrino said, "'whirling around accusingly. "'My device, it is the first and not, not yet perfected. "'It works perfectly well. "'No, I will have it and send for more. "'But, Excellency,' "'Don't talk back to your betters, lens-maker,' Feltrino said, raising his voice. "'I say things once and expect obedience.' Feltrino reminded himself of his father when he spoke those words. He turned and strode to his horse. "'Hey!' Handsome shouted, stepping quickly forward. "'Romero, no!' Agostino cried, but Handsome was already next to Feltrino, reaching to grab the telescope. Without a hint of warning, Feltrino spun around, his sword now in his other hand. The metal hilt struck Handsome in the cheek, forcing him to fly backward and onto his back. "'Romero!' Julietta screamed. Handsome looked up and saw a sword point pushing into his tunic. "'Please, Excellency, it's yours!' Agostino pleaded. "'Take the—' A rumble of hooves was heard up the street. Everyone, including Feltrino, looked to the noise. Half a dozen mounted soldiers were galloping into view— the officer in front had his sword drawn and his helmets covered down. The soldiers behind him all had pole-axes at the ready. The officer's helmet turned toward where Hansen was lying and pointed his sword at Feltrino. Feltrino made to turn to his horse, but stopped, knowing there was no way he could get away. 
It was only moments before the group was surrounded by soldiers. Two of the soldiers quickly dismounted and pointed the very sharp spikes at the end of their pole-axes at Feltrino. "'Put down your sword, Gonzago!' the officer called. Feltrino relaxed and smiled. He clipped the sword back on his belt. "'On the ground!' the officer said. "'A nice blade like this,' Feltrino said lightly. "'Ah, well.' He dropped his sword to the cobblestones. The officer motioned for one of his men to fetch it. "'Stand away from your mount,' the officer said. He lifted his visor. He had a scar running from his forehead and down to his cheek. Handsome scrambled to his feet and went to stand next to the master. Julieta and Chimera came to check where he had been hit, but Agostino hissed at them to back up. Another rumble was heard, this time hooves and wheels. An ornate covered carriage came down the road and stopped. The driver dismounted and opened the passenger door. After a pause, a thin, haughty man stepped onto the street. He wore soft kid boots to his knees, his shoes were dark blue velvet, his bray gold. Around his neck was a gold and silver chain. He looked at Feltrino and then to the officer, questioningly. "'It's him, Excellency,' the officer said. "'Very good, Captain Caesar.' The well-dressed man, obviously a noble, walked towards the group. The soldiers parted and the man stood next to Feltrino. "'You're Luigi's boy, eh?' he asked. "'Feltrino Gonzago,' Feltrino said, nodding almost courteously. "'And you are Baron de Pontremoli.' The man, who was a baron, looked somewhat surprised. "'I saw you at the peace treaty when my father took Reggio from you,' Feltrino explained. "'That's where this one got such a nice scar,' he said, pointing to Captain Caesar. "'I was ten at the time, I think.' "'We received a report from someone who recognized you,' de Pontremoli said. "'Why are you skulking around a Scalari town, Prince Feltrino?' "'Skulking? Oh, no, signor.' I found the body of a priest and brought it back to the bishop, and now I stay because—he pointed a thumb at Julietta. "'Who are they?' the baron asked, looking at Master de la Capa. "'Who are you?' he asked directly. "'I am Master Agostino de la Capa, Excellency,' Agostino said. "'Master Lensmaker.' "'You're the one making those discs for the eyes I've seen around town.' "'See, si, Excellency.' "'And your daughter?' Agostino became very agitated. He waved his hands back and forth in front of him. Julietta looked doubly embarrassed now. "'No, no, no, Excellency. There has been no funny business here. My daughter is a good Christian girl. She does not—' "'See, see, see, Master, be calm, be calm,' de Pontremoli said. "'Then what is your business with this Gonzago?' "'He just—' "'Came here. He saw the new device. He was just leaving.' "'What new device?' The Baron saw Feltrino put something behind his back. "'What's that?' "'Nothing. It's mine,' Feltrino said. He gave it to me. He held the telescope away from the Baron. Handsome stepped forward quickly, snatched it from Feltrino's hand, and held it toward the Baron. The noble took it in his long, thin palm and regarded it critically. "'It's parchment.' the nobleman observed, somewhat dismissively to Agostino. "'And the finest crystal lenses at either end, signor,' Agostino replied. "'You put that end to your eye and look at something in the distance. The roof of the castle over there, perhaps?' The reserved gentleman's eyebrows rose in surprise as he experienced magnified vision for the first time. "'Do you see the birds, Excellency?' Agostino asked. 
There's a yellow canary sitting with twelve doves, Ugolino croaked enthusiastically. The master whacked Ugolino's arm, silencing him. Did you create this? the baron asked Agostino in amazement. The master shrugged a little and nodded. It comes from my shop, he repeated. Do you know who I am? No, signor, I just moved to town from Florence. I am Baron Nicodemo de Pontromoli, the Podesta's secretary. Ah, Agostino said, bowing somewhat. And you are doing business with this Gonzago? Oh, no, Excellency, I wasn't, I swear to you. He had your device in his hand, Master de la Capa. That's right, Excellency, but no, Excellency, I wasn't. It's not like that. Agostino was becoming quite flustered. The Baron did not look pleased. "'Excuse me for speaking out of turn, Baron de Pontremoli,' Hansom said. "'Signor Gonzaga picked up Master de la Capa's device when it fell and refused to give it back, even when he asked politely. He rubbed the rising bruise on his face when he said this. "'Put him in the carriage, Captain,' Baron de Pontremoli said, nodding to Feltrino. "'Bring his horse. He will be our guest at the palace.' Two soldiers took Feltrino by the arms and led him away. "'Don't touch me! I protest,' Feltrino argued. "'You can't arrest me. I'm a noble!' "'Oh, Tosh, Prince Feltrino, you are our guest,' the baron said with some sarcasm. "'Our noble guest!' This infuriated Feltrino. "'I am expected home by my father. Let me go. I'll get you, lensmaker. You and your whore daughter!' he called as he was led away. Agostino was very upset now when Julietta fell into Shamira's arms. "'My daughter is not what he claims, Excellency. I showed him every courtesy, and yet he continued his rudeness.' "'That is no matter, Master de la Capa. Prince Feltrino has a very bad reputation with the women. I'm sure your child is quite chaste.' Handsome saw Julietta blush a bright pink. "'Now, Master de la Capa, about this device.' He put the telescope to his eye again and looked down the street one way, then the other. Magnifico! Spettacolare, he said. Then he lowered the telescope and asked, What do you call this amazing instrument, Master de la Capa? Agostino looked nonplussed. I, I hadn't thought of that, Excellency. One just looks through it, he said. I guess it's a looker, he finally declared. Both Handsome and Lincoln rolled their eyes at that. "'It's a fine name,' de Pontremoli said. "'I'm going to take your looker to the Podesta. He may be interested in such a thing.' For the second time in a short while, Agostino involuntarily reached to retrieve the telescope, but stopped before his hands came near the person of de Pontremoli. "'It's my only one,' he said. "'Can you not make more?' "'Oh, yes,' he said. "'It's just this is the original.' "'I see,' the Podesta's secretary said. He reached into his pouch and took out some coins, holding them before Agostino. Agostino looked at the coins sitting in de Pontremoli's palm. "'Oh, it's worth three times this, signor, at least.' De Pontremoli came nose to nose with Agostino and smiled sardonically. He took Agostino's blush-stained hand, turned it palm up, and placed the coins in it. Closing the meaty fingers around the money, the baron said— if I am correct, and you are lucky, Della Capa, my master will pay you ten times this for many, many more. Chapter 7 
As Agostino watched the Baron's carriage and soldiers rumble back down the street, he felt confused. He had in his hand silver coins which, a few moments earlier, were in a nobleman's pouch. He had been told there could be many more. This was an opportunity he could not squander. He had to think. "'To the shop,' he said, lumbering away. He always thought best at his lathe. "'Those are shiny coins, master,' Ugolino said, bouncing along by him. "'Quiet, I'm thinking,' Agostino barked. The first thing Agostino did in the shop was to go to his lathe, but before he sat, he realized he was still holding the note from Feltrino. He impaled it into a nail sticking out of the wall. Then he sat down, put the coins in his pouch, and barked for Lincoln to fetch the tools to make lenses for forty to forty-five-year-olds. The first thing the girls did was to tend to Handsome's blackening eye, washing it with cool water. After working on a lens for a while, Agostino paused and smiled. "'What luck today,' he said. "'Luck? What luck?' Julietta replied, miffed. She dabbed at Handsome's forehead somewhat more forcefully than needed. "'Look at Romero's eye, and remember what I was called.' "'The Lord works in mysterious ways,' Agostino answered, still smiling. "'The Podesta's own man has seen our invention and appreciates its possibilities.' "'Yeah, everyone seems to be getting really excited about that thing,' Lincoln observed. "'See, and if we are to start making these... these lookers,' Agostino continued, "'we must double our efforts at keeping up stock on the discs for the eyes.' The master's mood became serious again. "'Back to work, all of us. Girls, stop fawning over Romero and let him set lenses.' While they were toiling, Pan began whispering to Handsome. "'Master Handsome, for this telescope to find wide use among the military, I believe we must modify its design slightly.' "'What do you want me to do?' Handsome mumbled while setting a lens. "'Say to the master—' "'Master, I have an improvement I think we should make to the looker,' Handsome repeated. "'What?' "'What do you mean?' the master asked, looking up curiously. "'Suggest you draw them out with Shemira, and that you will show him later.' The master agreed, smiling and crossing himself several times. Later, after supper, Agostino made another declaration. "'We must now work day and night for a time to continue building stock. But right now we will leave Romero and Carmela to make some drawings of another looker. Julieta, you wanted to learn to set lenses. Tonight?' I shall show you. Ugolino, you must clean up after both me and Maruccio. My joy is to serve, master, Ugolino said, amazingly, without complaint. Julietta smiled appreciatively at Ugolino, and the ugly apprentice beamed. The signora, much healthier of mind lately, announced that she was going for a walk, all by herself. When Shamira and Hansom were left in the house, Pan popped out onto the table. He cracked his tiny knuckles and whipped his new, longer tail a few times. "'Let's get to work,' he said. Sometime later, with the drawing of the improved looker finished, Pan gave them a final explanation of its attributes. "'You see, young master and mistress, the back barrel of this version moves in and out, just enough to allow the viewer to change the focal length of the lenses to accommodate his or her particular vision.' Pan stopped and instantly disappeared. His sensitive hearing had perceived the door to the house opening quietly. 
From where his lamp was, ensconced in Shamira's veil and resting on the table, he couldn't whisper a warning that someone was entering. But he could see them. The two men were not thieves, not common ones, anyway. They were well-dressed noblemen. One was Nicodemo de Pontremoli, the Podesta's personal secretary. The other was Mastino della Scala II, the Podesta himself. Pan recognized him from the images of paintings stored in his memory. It's true what they said about him, he thought. He does look like a mastiff. He was named after his great-great-granduncle, Mastino I. His uncle had been Podesta of Verona some fifty years earlier. Several keystones over doors and windows around Verona were still decorated with the images of Mastino's dog-like image in the 24th century. Mastino was not only the master of Verona, but also Vicenza and their surrounding lands. The position of Podesta was a family inheritance that he had wrestled away from his two brothers. As a young and ambitious ruler, he took his city to war with the neighboring city-state of Brescia in 1332. A few years later, instead of war, he purchased Parma. Four years after that, he repeated the feat by bloodlessly conquering Luca by the coin. After the king of France, he was the richest prince of his time. But Mastino's exploits also gained him many enemies. A powerful league organized against him. Nobles from Venice and Florence, the Este family, the Visconti, and the Gonzagas of Mantua had raised an army against him. After three years of fighting, Mastino was left with what he had started with, Verona and Vicenza. Now, as a middle-aged man, it was his burning ambition to regain his former glories. The Podesta looked surprised at the lowly surroundings. Pan surmised that Della Scala couldn't believe that the thing they came about was produced here. Nicodemo was about to announce them, but Mastino put his hand on his secretary's arm. Shamira was actually addressing Pan, but he had vanished, so to the Podesta it looked like she was speaking to Handsome. Oh, I see, Shamira said. If the back tube moves, it allows the viewer to adjust the looker. It makes the image more clear to each individual's eye. Yes, Handsome added. These drawings should really impress the master. Handsome looked up to speak to Pan and saw the guests. He stood quickly and put a blank parchment over the drawings. "'Sorry, seniors. I didn't see you. Are you here to buy discs for the eyes?' The Podesta took the parchment looker out from his cloak. "'Where is your master?' he asked. Handsome and Shamira saw the telescope they made the other night. Shamira reached down to the table, retrieved her veil, and put it over her head. "'Master de la Capa is around back in the workshop, senor,' Handsome said. "'Shall I get him for you?' Podesto Mastino della Scala continued to stare silently at the two teenagers. He prided himself on being a good judge of character and believed he saw something odd in their eyes. No, you both stay here, he said. With a small wave, the Podesta told his secretary to fetch Agostino. There was something in the eyes of these two, a self-confidence that usually only comes with education and privilege. A kitchen girl and apprentice would usually fidget or leave a room quickly, but although they looked respectful, they did not look cowed. He walked up to the table and put his hand on the blank parchment. He was about to lift it when Handsome interrupted him. "'Signor,' Handsome began, "'do you know who I am?' "'I believe I saw you at San Zeno two Sundays ago, Signor. You were the Podesta.' "'Podesta de la Scala,' Shamira added. "'Then you must know there are no secrets for me in my Verona.' He slid the blank parchment off of the updated telescope design. 
His eyesight was not good for reading, so he held the drawing first at arm's length, then close to his face. After a few adjustments, he got the focus. "'Girl, you did this drawing?' "'See, si, senor. It's the best I can do with only a charcoal stick.' "'Indeed.' "'And you, boy, you conceived this.' Pan quickly whispered something into Handsome's ear. To the Podesta it seemed like Handsome was pausing to think before he answered. "'This is Master de la Capa's shop, Excellency,' Handsome parroted. "'Ah,' the Podesta replied, impressed that Handsome wasn't taking credit. "'Explain the difference between this prototype looker and the new design.' "'Well, senor,' Handsome began, "'the first example has a fixed length with two lenses. "'While it works well enough, the second design allows the back lens to be moved slightly. "'This way it can be adjusted for different people's eyes, "'like you did when you were trying to read the parchment. "'It allows the image to be crisp for each user.'" Chapter 8 just then, the door banged open and the master rushed in, followed closely by the Podesta's secretary, Julieta, Lincoln, and Ugolino. The secretary put his arm up to stop the others from getting too close to the Podesta. Agostino was out of breath, red in the face, sweating profusely, and still wearing his thick safety glasses and leather helmet. "'Your Excellency, I am sorry I was not here to receive you.' He bowed at the waist, wincing as he went too low. "'I've come on the business of your looker,' the Podesta said, holding up the telescope. "'Very interesting.' "'Grazie, Excellency,' Agostino puffed, still catching his breath. "'Your apprentice was explaining the difference between the first example and the subsequent design. "'Perhaps, as the master, you could elaborate.' "'Mastino could see his request had flustered Agostino. "'Elaborate? Uh, subsequent... Uh, what?' the master asked, confused.' "'Your new and improved design, Master,' Handsome prompted, pointing to the table. "'Oh, new design, yes. Uh, let me see. How is it coming?' Agostino said with fake familiarity. Trying to take command of the situation, he squinted at the drawing and said in a low, serious voice, "'See, see, uh, this looks like it's coming along fine. As we discussed, eh, Romero, as I instructed? Grazie, Master, Handsome said. And well drawn, Carmelo. Grazie, Master. Well, there you have it, Excellency, an improved design. In what way? the Podesta baited. You remember, Master, Handsome said quickly. The back barrel moves to allow adjustment of the eyepiece, so the viewer... Mastino put up a hand for Handsome to stop. Then he stared at the master, raising his eyebrows to bid him continue. Well, uh, see, the uh, back barrel, it slides in and out. Here, see? Mastino had his answer. This young apprentice was apparently a savant, and De La Capa had been lucky enough to have him fall into his life. See, si, of course, I do see, Master de la Capa, the Podesta said. I understand perfectly. So, de la Capa, these lookers may be of some interest to me, to give to the officers in my army and for the city lookouts. Can you supply them? See, si, of course, the Master agreed without hesitation. The new design? See, si, of course, he repeated. Then Agostino looked at Handsome for confirmation. Handsome nodded as minimally as possible. How many does His Excellency require? 
Two? Three? Half a dozen? One hundred, to begin with, the Podesta said. One hundred, the master gasped. See, the Podesta confirmed. Is that a problem? Oh, no, Excellency, no. When, when do you require them? he asked nervously. Oh, a few as soon as you can. The others within a month, perhaps. One hundred in a month, he said incredulously. See, Master de la Capa, but instead of paper, the cylinders must be made of something more sturdy. Perhaps brass, the Podesta suggested. Brass? Oh, that's expensive. How about the first ones we make from tin sheet? There's a tinsmith down the street. It would be faster. Maybe brass later. Let us make our mistakes in tin. Quite sensible, Master de la Capa, the Podesta said. The master at least didn't appear a complete idiot. And the price, Your Excellency? What? Oh, work that out with de Pontremoli. He will come in a few days to write a contract. As you wish, Excellency, Agostino answered. Before I leave, the Podesta continued, he took out a leather case and opened it. There was a pair of bone spectacle frames with shards from the lenses still stuck to it. I had an unfortunate accident the other week. I would ask for a pair of discs for the eyes, for myself. When do you wish them, Excellency? When? Now. He looked at Agostino as if he really were an idiot. I'm so sorry, Excellency. I have none to give. Both the Podesta and the Secretary looked thoroughly miffed. "'You traipse around Verona with your discs for the eyes,' de Pontermoli asked aghast. "'Priests and butchers everywhere are wearing them, but you have none for our Podesta.' "'Had I known, we are so busy that I even sold my samples but an hour ago. "'Why, we've been grinding and polishing even on the Sabbath and through the nights. "'That is why I look such a wreck.' "'Signore,' Handsome said, then paused, Verona has blessed my master's house with much business, he paused again, and his discs for the eyes are so perfect and so needed that we've been over-blessed by requests for them. Pause. May I suggest that the master can make a pair of discs for the eyes this very night? Our vendor, Ugolino, will deliver them to you tomorrow. Pause. As well, we shall have the prototype of the new looker for your approval then. In parchment, of course, but you will see how it improves the device's performance. Pause. A week later, we shall have some half-dozen for you in tin. The balance of the hundred within a month. And, uh, and these discs for the eyes will be a gift for His Excellency, the Master added hastily. No charge from me to you. He put his ham-like red hands to his bosom and extended them in a gesture of both offering and supplication. The Podesta took a deep breath and smiled faintly. Very well. But do not send your vendor. Send him, Mastino said, pointing at Handsome. Excellency? And her as well, he said, pointing to Shamira. But why? Master de la Capa began then. As you wish, Excellency, he said, bowing. Let us leave, Nicodemo, the Podesta said to his secretary, and he walked to the door. The master genuflected repeatedly as he exited, and motioned for the others to do the same. The household followed the nobles out, 
A noisy crowd of neighbors had assembled around the fine carriage, but fell silent when they saw the Podesta. At the carriage, the Podesta turned and faced Handsome and Shamira. He handed Handsome a card with his crest on it. Show this to the guard. And, girl, bring your drawing. As Mastino looked at Shamira, a small light shone in his eyes from somewhere unseen. The nobleman blinked, rubbed his eyes, then turned to climb into the carriage. "'Thank you, Excellency. God bless you, Excellency,' Agostino said, still genuflecting. Handsome gave Shamira a curious look as the carriage left, seeming to say, "'That was different.' With the noble gone, the crowd became louder again, laughing and patting the master on the back in congratulations. "'We're starting to mix with elegant company,' he said aloud." Just then the signora came bolting down the street, her bulk heaving like a mold of aspic. "'My chamber pot! I need my chamber pot!' the signora cried as she ran into the house. Julieta and Shamira ran in after her. The neighbors broke out into laughter. "'Into the house, all of you!' the master commanded to his apprentices. As they moved back to the house, Handsome's eyes met Ugolino's, who was giving him a very dirty look. "'Hey, it wasn't my idea for me to do the delivery,' Handsome said. Once in the house, the master got right to it. "'Before tomorrow, we must produce an especially fine pair of discs for the eyes, and a second looker. Romero, let me look at those plans.' While Handsome was getting them, Pan whispered into Handsome's ear. Handsome looked surprised. "'More plans?' he said out loud. "'What did you say?' the master asked. "'Oh, um... "'Master, I have another idea for the Podesta's spectacles. "'Could you grind the lenses for the looker as I've drawn on the plan here? "'I'll work with Carmela and draw up the other idea.' "'Just then Julietta came down the stairs, holding her mother's chamber pot. "'Handsome looked up at her and thought how she even looked lovely doing this chore. "'Ugolino, if you please?' "'Julietta handed Ugolino the chamber pot. "'Without complaint, he accepted it. "'My pleasure is to serve!' he said, smiling at Julietta. But when he went out the door, he gave Handsome another dirty look. Ugolino, come straight to the shop when you've finished,' the master ordered. "'Now, Romero, what did you say? Another idea for the Podesta's discs for the eyes?' "'Yes, master, if you don't mind, I'll stay here with Carmela and draw them up as fast as we can.' "'Certainly, certainly, my boy. Come, everyone, to the shop.' We have two commissions for the Podesta himself. Romero, what is your idea? I really can't say, Master. It was true. Pan hadn't told him yet. As soon as Shamira and Handsome were alone, Pan came out and stood, tom-thumb size, on the kitchen table. What do you have in mind now? Handsome asked. Another lens-craft idea, Pan said. I thought we could introduce prescription glasses. What's that? Shamira asked. "'Well, the reading spectacles are for people who are far-sighted. "'They can see distances, but not close up. "'However, the Podesta can see neither far nor close well. "'I scanned his eyes just as he was getting into the carriage. "'I want to show you how to make him spectacles that do both. "'They're called bifocals. "'They were first invented in the 18th century by Benjamin Franklin "'in what was known as the United States.' Less than an hour later, Hansom was showing the master and everyone else in the shop the drawings for bifocals. These lenses allow people to see things both far and near, Hansom explained. 
Everybody was leaning over the table, an oil lamp on both sides of the plans. Julietta was standing next to Handsome, and was almost as excited as her father. As she leaned in, she let her arm press against Handsome's. A shiver ran through Handsome's chest. "'Go on! Go on, Romero!' the master said with excitement. "'Explain it to me!' Handsome collected himself. "'By grinding slightly different curves on the inside and outside of the glass, we can create lenses to correct the wearer's far or close vision. These drawings show the exact shape of the lenses needed by the Podesta for both. After you've made both sorts of lenses, master, you then cut them in half and attach the tops and the bottoms in the same frame.' Pan had projected a line image on the parchment, and Shamira had carefully copied it. This way Agostino could cut out an exact template to match all the inside and outside curves against. Then she illustrated the production sequences in freehand perspective. Agostino understood the concept instantly. "'How did you come to know of this?' he asked, an intense look in his eyes. Pan had instructed Handsome to say, from the master we had a little bit of experience with before. He was working on these ideas. I improved them a little. I know lots of people I can sell these to, Ugolino said, looking over the master's shoulder. Fifteen sold each. Ugolino, that's the cost of three pair of regular discs for the eyes, the master said. But it will take almost the same time to make these as three pair of discs for the eyes, master. Agostino's eyes went wide with amazement. He smiled at the salesman. "'You're right, Ugolino, you're right.' Then he patted him paternally on the cheek. "'I never could have believed it, but there just may be hope for you. Yes, come, let us get to work.' Now that Hansen was familiar with lens-making, he was especially impressed by the master's skill. The master truly proved his title by slowly, patiently, and intricately filing through the brittle medieval glass, cutting the four lenses in half. Even Pan was impressed with the master's freehand grinding. "'This must be kept secret. This must not be shared,' Agostino kept telling everyone, the sweat dripping from his brow as he laboured. They all worked into the night, Shimira, Julietta, and Handsome working on the looker, the master, Lincoln, and Ugolino on the bifocals. It was well into the night before both the Podesta spectacles and the new adjustable looker lay completed upon the workbench.' Ugolino was sleeping in a corner. Handsome and the others stared at the master's tired but awe-inspired face. It seemed he did not know which miracle to be more amazed about. The prescription glasses for the short-sighted and long-sighted, the bifocals, or the looker. You've come to the end of this installment of The Lens and the Looker. We hope you enjoyed it. To find out how to get the other installments, go to www.loriekaufman.com. That's www.loriekaufman.com.